This is the Unusable Podcast. <laughs> I don't know what to say now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Unusable Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us, and talk about great design that works, or moan about it when it doesn't. Probably more of Definitely the second more the yeah. <laughs> My name's David Ball, I'm a web developer from Derby. And I'm Andrew Waite, I'm a product owner uh, of a SaaS product in Derby as well. That, that was very game show, wasn't it? It's just how it is. Yeah. In January 2018, people who live in Hawaii got a text message saying there is a ballistic missile incoming right now. Take shelter. This is not a drill. And it was a drill. It was a drill. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't true. It was just, it was a complete mistake. Somebody was pressing something on an interface and the wrong message was sent out. I've actually got a picture of it here, which I can show you. Obviously, you can't hear that on the podcast. Okay. But... Yeah. But so the, this is the interface. Apparently, a so, picture was leaked later of what it looked like. So there's only a one-word difference between the thing that they should have pressed and the thing that they did press. One is what they're supposed to do, and then the other option is all doom and you're all going to die, terrify people. People are going to be like calling their loved ones and saying goodbye. Well, they did. People were taking shelter in tunnels. Uh, you know the funniest thing that happened though. What? Pornhub had like a spike in users. <laughs> I did actually hear that. <laughs> I did hear that. That's yeah. what people want to do as soon as they realise they're going to die. Oh, just look at some porn. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well. So anyway, a that mistake could have been avoided with a better design of an interface. Um, so that made me think, what about other interfaces that might have actually caused people to die? Or any other wider consequences. You know, I think it's easy to... To complain about bad UX, you know, we we experience it all the time. On the last podcast, we talked about doors and how they're annoying. But does anyone, you know, are, are there any real serious consequences? I mean, not really. Lead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there might be a slight commercial downside if you've got a sticky door to a shop or something. But really, it's mostly just people getting annoyed. If you've got um, a really, really important meeting and somebody's coming in and they know that and they've tried to push the door, the door and it's a pull door, they're just going to be... A slight, slightly more, more annoyed. Yeah, but there's, and then the there's, meeting there's might a, not go well. That is a huge gulf of consequence <laughs> between between that, which is our minor gripes that we message each other about a lot, and and probably the reason we started this podcast, and someone actually dying from bad usability, which which has happened. So the other thing about the Hawaii missile warning is there was no easy way to recall the message. It it took them, uh, I think it was about half an hour, forty five minutes to issue. A second message, which said, "Actually, no, it is a drill." That's way too late, isn't it? But but, but the people forty-five building... minutes of thinking that you're going to actually going to die. But the people building that interface could have had a you know thought about this being a problem and and had uh, an option in there to send a second message. Um, they obviously never envisaged that someone would press it by accident. But someone's always going to press something by accident. It's exactly. Always just going to happen. So I think it's important to think about those failure conditions when you're building a user interface there was even a confirm message you know having undo buttons having some way to recall it or if you can't recall it a way to to backtrack in the best way possible um i think that's important so how could someone have made the hawaii missile alerts interface better apparently it did have a 
confirmation box. So when someone pressed it, it said, are you sure? And they probably just were like, yeah, of course. I've seen a so, confirmation box before. Yes. So I'm thinking about this. Um, we have a, a deployment system okay. here. In so, your company that you work for? Yes. That um, we essentially take take a build of our software yeah. that's you know a particular version. Um, we click deploy and that can go to a number of environments. It can go out to staging, it can go out to production. We have we have different environments in which which to deploy that, that piece of code. Yeah, we've got the same. Now if it's if it's any environment apart from production, it does pop up a confirmation model, but it just says, you know, you're about to deploy this here with these settings, are you sure? Okay. Oh, that's, that's good, that's quite clever. If it's if it's production though, there is a distinct difference. There is um basically a sort of flashing warning lights. Yeah. And there's a different color scheme. So you know, if you're deploying to production, that, you know, it sh- it shocks you. You know, this, this all this is different. You know, if you if you were thinking you were doing staging, it's very clear that there's something different about this deployment. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, the color, the movement that isn't there normally. Has it ever gone wrong? Has it ever gone wrong? Um, no. Oh, not to good. the best well, of my you're knowledge. Much better than the Hawaii ballistic missile defense. <laughs> I mean, actually, we go further now because we only allow production-ready versions to go into the drop-down list to be deployed to production. So the, the the risk of error has been removed. You used to be able to deploy any version anywhere, but now only the specific versions ready for production even appear in that list. Right, okay. So you so, really minimise so we, the... we Well, we, you can't now. You right. literally can't deploy anything to production other than... Um, other than a version that's meant for production. I think it's that sort of thinking that I worry that they're not... Uh, they're not employing in the Hawaii ballistic missile defence warning system. Well, the consequence of us doing something wrong is maybe a customer gets a little bit annoyed because a buggy still testing feature goes live. You know, it's not... I mean, it's certainly not something that we want to do for our customers, but it's not a huge consequence versus telling a whole nation they're about to be uh, eradicated by a nuclear missile. Yeah. Is, Is very, very... Different, but yeah, you're right. We've probably put more thought into our interface than than Hawaii put into their. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I assume they would have commissioned a third party to make that. Maybe, but they might not have spent much money on it. True. A, a, a good example of bad UX that could have a, a real world consequence. I don't actually know any any stories of it actually harming someone, but bad user interfaces in cars. Right. Okay. Some some cars. A dangerous situation, anyway. Well, exactly. Yeah. But the the current trend for touchscreen stereos in cars. In fact, some now even you have to do the heater controls through a touchscreen, and so there's no tactility. If you look at a slightly older car, you have a you know physical knobs to turn that turn the heater up and down, make the fans blow different yeah. strengths. Um, and if you want to turn the volume up or turn it down quickly because you want to concentrate, you could just, without taking your eyes off the road... That's the important part, isn't it? Yeah, without taking your eyes off the road, you can reach for a physical control. You can reach for a knob. <laughs> you can reach for a knob. <laughs> you don't have to look at it. You don't have to look at it. You just reach for it and touch it. And you, and you know when you're turning it on... <laughs> This is this is taking a really <laughs> weird turn. But so, for example, my 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 mum used to have a Vauxhall Adam. The volume control was a touch button on a touch screen, so you had to take your eyes off the road to locate the touch button. Oh, right. And then once you'd actually found it, you couldn't just 
like uh, with a, a physical rotary knob, you can just twist it. You actually had to tap it. You couldn't even press and hold it. You, so if you want to turn it from, say, level 20 to level zero, you would have to tap that thing 20 times while also keeping your other hand on the steering wheel and trying to concentrate on driving. Yeah. And yeah. obviously you hit a bump and your finger moves as you've tapped five so you've times. And then, you at it. then you're accidentally pressing the up button because your fingers moved because the car's jolted. Yeah. Absolute nightmare. Whoever did that is just... Do you think the designers of that have actually caused deaths? Like traffic accidents and possibly deaths? I think they must have caused actual harm. I mean, we we have some actual examples of actual harm. Right, that, get on that, to the examples. Well, I'm excited about these examples. Get on with it. You are so hyped for these <laughs> examples of people being harmed by bad user interfaces. Um, so I have a near miss. Okay. So Three Mile Island, Dauphin County, Pennsylvania. There is a nuclear power station. And on the... Well, there was at least. Maybe there isn't now. I don't know. Um, on the 28th of March, 1979, reactor number two basically let out uh, radioactive xenon-135 and krypton-85 gases. I don't and think we need to be this, this specific. <laughs> <laughs> just just let us know some radiation leaked. That's all we there need was, to know. There was a radiation leak. Um, okay. It didn't actually end up killing anyone, but it could have done, or it could have caused serious harm. Right. And the reason is that the interface that the operator was using had a light on it. Yeah. Which sh- supposedly showed him whether the uh, a valve was open or closed. Right. Okay. Valve light. A valve light. Valve is, valve is open, lights on, valve is closed, lights off. Right. Okay. But it wasn't actually linked to whether the valve was actually open or closed. It was linked to whether the button had been pressed to close it or open it. Oh. Which is a subtle difference. Well, yeah. So, so, yeah. The, so the operator pressed it to close it. The light either lit up or went out, which is yeah, yeah. telling him. But they, but it didn't do anything. It didn't do anything because there was a, a fault. It <gasps> stuck. The the valve stuck, and because of this, there was a a nuclear leak, shall we say? It was c- considered a five on the seven point international nuclear event scale. Why seven? I didn't even realize there was a nuclear event scale. Well, yeah, but there is. The, if there is one, se- I would se- say that seven is make it out of ten. Seven. <laughs> Just invent some extra just, steps. But may, why not make it out of ten? Oh, it's a seven. Well, but what's that out of? Seven. If you say something's like seven on the scale, you think, oh, at least it's not an eight. Yeah, but the problem is there are seven distinct levels. That if they haven't, were you saying that they should come up with an extra three? No, just spread them out a bit. <laughs> spread, <laughs> spread them out. Skip out two, just so we can get to ten. Skip yeah, out two I like and things to be decimalized. Six and yeah, seven is like Chernobyl. This was a number five, which is like. So that's Still pretty quite bad. Serious. Uh, cleanup started in August 1979. Officially ended in. We don't this... need to know about the cleanup. Well, no, because this is a consequence of bad UX. This oh is, right, okay. This is a real world consequence. It, it didn't end until 1993. Hang on, how long's that? So that is 14 years, if my maths is right. Yeah, 14 years. Do you think someone just bodged the button together and goes, right? Well, we'll make it light up when the button's pressed, but not think about I don't know anything else that happens afterwards. Yeah, I think. I think they hadn't really thought about what the light was there for because they obviously thought it was sufficient for it to just show the intended state and never really thought about, you know, the potential failure that could occur. Yeah. The clean the cleanup cost one billion dollars. Just because of just a bad, because a bad button. There was no sensor on the actual valve to make the light show up. It was whether the system thought that the light should be on or not. I read a similar story to this, which is about a ferry that sank. Okay, be- I don't know this one. Because um because the 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 gate at the the back it's fair you know you drive onto a ferry yeah and they and have they, the... they close the gate at the back yeah like a, a trapdoor kind of thing yeah so they, they didn't close the gate and no one like thought to check 
to close this this gate. It might be in a problem not really of usability, but about policy, maybe that just that they didn't they set off and there was nothing in the what do you call that on a ship a bridge. There was nothing to tell them that that gate so wasn't there wasn't even an there wasn't even a button, a light or anything like anything like that, that to to show them that there was a that there was a problem. So that's maybe an example more of how you can design something to stop a failure. Yeah, sure. Rather than a fa- rather than an interface that's gone wrong. Do you know? Did, did anybody anybody die? They all died. It sank. Re- really? Yeah. I mean, that sinking doesn't necessarily mean death. Well, some people I mean, they could the still Titanic. be alive underwater, but probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Neptune. not laugh at death. <laughs> Have you got what's what's your next one? Plane crash? No. We're working our way up to oh, it. Gone. We're working our way up. <laughs> My story had actual death. I've really? thrown well, you, I've I've got, you scale out. I've got a death now. And I think this is one of the most interesting ones, actually, for your interface. Yeah. So this is Anton Yelchin. Oh, uh, Chekhov from Star Trek. It's Chekhov from Star Trek. And oh, that's sad. He, he died because, uh, this was in the news at the time, he got run over by his own car. Do you remember this? Yeah. Big news. Yeah. So... It's thought to be because of the poor usability of the gear shifter in his Jeep. Hang on, I don't understand American cars, though. So, right. What's a gear shifter? So, he has a Jeep Grand Grand Cherokee, and as most cars in America are, it's an automatic. Yeah. So, you have a, a lever that slides from park through reverse, neutral, and drive. So, if you want to go forward, you put your foot on the brakes push the button in the side and pull it from park to drive. Right, okay. I've only ever driven stick, so I don't really know. I just... A manual? We're British. We don't... Sorry. <laughs> stick for the Americans. <laughs> um, are we going international with our podcast? Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, that the reason is that they they decided that they were going to redesign the shifter and make it better. Yeah. So they came up with this concept called the monostable shifter. Jeep did which is this lever that shifts it from park through through neutral to drive and vice versa. So you can, it can be in any of those states. It's a four position lever, essentially. Yeah. And what they did is, so tr- traditional ones, the physical position of the lever marks which of those it's in. So there are not, it's a notched lever. So in a tr- traditional automatic gearbox, so you go from park to reverse, it clicks and it's in a different physical position, the lever. So you know yeah. which one of those it's in. Yeah, okay. The, the Jeep design, basically you pulled it towards you and the more you pulled it towards you, the more it would, more things it would scroll through. But then it would spring back to the center again. Oh, what? Does that make so you, sense? So you don't know it, it never rested in in the place that it was. It in. would always come back to rest in the center. So you don't know from looking at well, it. Well, the way it is. the way that you would tell is by looking at the lights on top of it. So there was uh, the four different things on top. So park, neutral, reverse, drive on top of it. P R N D which would be lit up anyway, but the one that was selected would be lit up slightly brighter. Right. And what they reckon is that he he didn't realise that it was actually in neutral or reverse or something like that, and that he got out to hook up a trailer or something like that, I think. And I think the he, car like rolled he thought, onto him and trapped yeah, him. Yeah, he, he thought he was in park, but he, he wasn't. Yeah, but that it's short-sighted. They actually had to recall... They recalled all the cars and, and, and made a fix. But the interesting thing is that they didn't... The fix wasn't to put a good gear shifter in instead. The fix was just to make it so that if you open the door when you're in neutral, then it'll just put the brakes on. I don't think that's a fix. I think that's deferring the problem. 
Yeah, so do I. I think it's just an easier way out because it costs less than actually replacing the shifter with something. Yeah. If something's in a particular mode, I think it needs to show you that it's in the right mode. Well, it does, but just not in the in as a clearer way. It, yeah, I if, think if it does on a screen, I don't think that's quite the same as the physical shifter being in the actual physical place. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This leads me perfectly to the story of a plane. Can you tell me exactly what plane it is? Actually, it doesn't really matter exactly what plane it is. It does matter. Okay, it's the Air Interflight 148. Which which was a very new at that time Airbus A320. Okay. With very advanced, a very advanced cockpit with lots of digital displays. So not analogue like they'd been previously with, you know, physical needles on them. So the story is it crashed into a mountain and never died. 87 people. Right. Horrible story. And so what they think happened is that there's there's a uh, a screen that shows different modes. And so what they think is the the pilot thought it was in a particular mode, set the vertical speed. It was actually supposed to be setting the... Angle of descent. Angle of descent. And so because it wasn't in the right mode, the pilot didn't think anything was wrong, crashed. Completely could have been avoided by just a better interface, surely. Yeah. If you've got the same screen used for different things, I can really see how that's that's going to get confusing. Well, the, the the difference between the two modes, which would give very different outputs, is it, a, it was a decimal place, basically. So what do you mean by that? It has two modes, like you said. So it has vertical speed in yeah. feet per minute. Right. So we're going to go, for every minute, we're going to go down this number of feet. Okay. And it also has a, uh, an angle. So 3.3 degrees from flying straight. So right. or whatever. So, so basically, if it was if you were going down at three thousand three hundred feet per minute down, it would say minus thirty three. Yeah. And if you're going down at an angle of three point three degrees, it'd be minus three point three. So the only difference is the point in between minus thirty three versus minus three. But the pilot's not going to be interested in details like that. They just want to sit back <laughs> and drink a cocktail. Yeah, pilots aren't <laughs> interested in details like keeping the passengers safe. They're not bothered about that. <laughs> Um, but it obviously, should... in a in a high stress situation, you can see how that would absolutely be mistaken. Um, the fix was actually that, uh, and it makes me wonder why didn't they do this to start with? Is that they switched it so that when it's in the um, vertical speed mode, the feet per minute mode, yeah, it displays a four digit number. So now it would it would say minus three point three for for the angle, but it would say minus three thousand three hundred feet, which is when it's in feet per minute, which is actually makes more sense anyway. Yeah. Um, but it also can't be confused. It's if better. You, an angle is never represented in a four-digit number, so you know if it's a four-digit number. Yeah. It's not. So that is that angle. is a lot clearer. I would have gone a bit more, make it different colour, different font. <laughs> different font. <laughs> on, a, on, a, on an 80s LCD display, like a Casio calculator. <laughs> I don't think they support fonts. <laughs> we'll just have a different screen. What if you wanted to see both of these things at the same time? You don't have to be well, like yeah, selecting but that, the mode. But is that not confusing in itself? Because you can only have one or the other. So by having it on the same screen, it, it actually provides the benefit to an, in, in understanding, which is, oh, I get it. I can only have A or B. I can't yeah. have A and B. Like, you can't both be descending at an angle or ask the autopilot to make you descend at an angle and at a certain rate, because that just doesn't make sense. You have one or the other. Right. I did have another case, actually, that I was going to talk Go on, then. Two more. So, Thomas yep. Eric Duncan. Do you right. know who he is? No. So, he was the first Ebola patient in America. 
And guy. he had recently been on a holiday to West Africa, where Ebola is a problem. Oh, right, okay. And he went into a hospital where a nurse asked him various questions, like recently, all these things. It was written down in some notes. Then he was referred to a doctor. Now, the doctor used the same software as the nurse to look up the patient's records, except the notes taken by the nurse weren't in the interface seen by the doctor. So the doctor didn't realise that Ebola was even a possible risk because they didn't even think that he might have been to, to West Africa. So this doctor so, that, that, that he saw was looking at a what a computer screen or a tablet yeah, or something no, like that? Well, I don't know. I assume so. Yeah, some kind of computer interface. Um, and it didn't have the correct notes on there. So so essentially he was dis- discharged. They didn't di- correctly diagnose him. And he later went on to die. And potentially yeah, could have... I think potentially could have infe- infected other Ebola people. to lots of people as well. Yeah. Oh, great. Great. Similar story about that. Mm. There's a there's a good article called How Bad UX Killed Jenny by this, Jonathan Sherry. Can I just say about this article, because I've read this one. Yeah. And it's so weak on detail that it makes me doubt its authenticity. I think it just happened a long time ago. So the basic premise of the of this story is the uh, the, the author's wife was a nursing student and so she was sh- sharing about someone, a, a child, I think he was, who had cancer and needed treatment. And the nurse at the time gave the wrong treatment because the screen that she was looking at had the right information on, but there's so much information on the screen that it was easy to miss the very important thing. The interesting thing about this particular case is that it highlights that user interfaces are important. You know, These are trained nurses. They're not idiots we're talking about here. They're, they're but they're still people. working from the information that they're given. Yeah, and if that information is not presented in a in a clear way, then you can definitely see how they're gonna they're gonna miss something because they've got so many different things to compile together. And so an interface interface that presents the right information at the right time would be really really helpful there. So this article does have a screenshot of. It doesn't say this is the exact screen that that they were looking at, but something similar, and it is awful software. Yeah, it probably has to show. Can you imagine how much information that a hospital must have about an individual? There, how much information a doctor would have? All those different data points. How do you? How could you even categorize that better than showing it all on screen at once? I suppose there must be ways, but yeah, but or looks, surfacing the relevant thing at the right time. That's the trick. But it looks like there's been absolutely no thought gone into the design of this thing. Whereas me and you will spend. Hours thinking about actual designs. Like I work on client projects, and we spend hours thinking about the the perfect user experience for for the client. But it looks like this thing, which is so important to somebody's actual actual life and treatment, yeah. has just had has not even had any ha- no had care. That thought. It just looks like a which is so weird. It feels like we're putting the effort into you know we should put put but so much effort into into this. But isn't it true that? That normally the things that people put in effort into are the things that are going to create money. Like what, what value does that create? The value is keeping someone alive. Sure, but people are motivated by money, aren't they? So we need to throw more money at designers for medical interfaces. Let's have a whoop round right now. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these things have parallels to. Um, when I was at university, we had a module on um, software best practices and things like that. 
It was mm-hmm. a very theoretical module. And we studied various cases where people have actually died from software bugs. So a slight, a slight parallel. It's not user experience, but, you know, people writing a line of code. You, you think very similarly when you're doing user experience when you're writing lines of code that yeah. there aren't really consequences if you get it wrong. You know, it's a very disposable medium, isn't it? So you you write a line of code. If it doesn't work, you tweak a few things, you run it again. Who died? Who died? Um, various people. There was a machine called a Therac 25 machine. Right, what did he do? It was designed to give radiation therapy. I assume to, I think it was to cancer uh, patients, um, doses of radiation to shrink the tumour. And basically, um, the, in older versions of the machine, there were, there were hardware interlocks, as in you had to put various levers in certain places before it would give certain doses or high doses or things like that. And basically, they they strip these out for software interlocks. So as in, it was the software checking that all the things were in the right place. And someone had made a bug. And in, what that meant was it accidentally gave radiation doses that were far higher than the human body could actually withstand. Oh, um, and had really horrific consequences. And it took a long time for it to be discovered as well. It was doing this. And it was because it was a weird, like, one in, like, a thousand that it was doing it to. Because it was only when some weird set of circumstances were were true that it would give this fatal dose do you think that programmer feels bad i i don't know know, i suppose because because i think the point of the when i studied it the point of it was that it wasn't the fault of a specific programmer so much as it was a fault of the the quality procedures in place and the you know having sufficient testing having you know third party reviews having well documented processors and test cases and all these kind of things but it's interesting the parallels because i think ux similarly we think about the consequent consequences of bad ux you know people can actually can actually die yeah and have died from from bad user interfaces i think as as people that design them and build them it's our duty to make things as clear as possible an article from someone saying that um it's getting worse in What's terms of worse? The, well, the, the risk of real world consequences from bad UX is getting worse because technology is becoming more and more integrated into our lives every day, especially with things like voice activated assistance now and smart homes. Oh, right, and so yeah. the potential for a user interface problem causing real world harm grows the more we integrate these things with our lives, which is why user interfaces are more important than ever. OK, here's an, an example I can think of. Say someone has... Okay, this is fairly far-fetched, but it's the best I can think of. Someone's got a smart plug hooked up to, say, a blender. Oh, God. <laughs> you know those plugs you can get that you can turn on with your voice, yeah? Hey, Alexa, turn on the blender <laughs> while I'm cleaning it. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, but someone's cleaning it in, in the inside of a blender and their kid comes in the room... And says, turn on the blender. Or the kid says something else. You know how often they miss here. Maybe the kid says, put Biker Grove on TV. And it misses that as turn the blender on. Who's watching Biker Grove? (laughs) British kids from the 80s. (laughs) The kids not watch Biker Grove these days. I don't know. There might be a new series. But that was very old. (laughs) No, not many people are going to get that reference, are they? Um, going to know what that means (laughs) um but yeah you know that's just a far-fetched example but you know there are okay take take for example some much more likely someone goes 
realizes the bulb's out, says, Alexa, turn off the lights, goes to change the bulb, has their finger You might have actually just made someone's lights go off. Oh, yeah. If true. they're listening to this on oh, the loudspeaker. I'm, I'm really sorry. I should, we should have used a synonym, shouldn't we? Well, I said earlier, turn on the blender. They could have been cleaning it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, we might have just caused a death from poor... Sometimes my Google US. Home will uh, will hear things on the TV, and I do. That's why I don't want to hook up to anything too important, because yeah. it might just do it might do random things. Well, it's a good point because I someone could cause actual harm from from one of those devices. You know, you could shout through someone's letterbox and turn their stuff on and off, or set their heating temperature, or that would be quite easy. I've just thought of a really good one for uh, causing actual harm. What if you say, Alexa, remind me at. 10.30 to take my very important essential medicine and it forgets or doesn't do the reminder and you and you forget to take your very important essential medicine and you might die. That's true, but that's only the same as any other reminder mechanism, I guess, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I suppose it's just a tool, isn't it? It is, it is. Self-driving cars, that's got to be the, the biggest way that we might be able to kill ourselves with bad design. Yeah, that is true, actually. Yeah, if you think about the... It's interesting, actually, because, you know... Tesla have the thing where it's autonomous, but you have to keep your hands on the wheel. Which is kind of not really... It's not really anything, is it? It's a bit of both, but not well, really... Well, a lot of people say that that's worse, because if a human's driving a car, they're concentrating on driving the car, and they know they're in control of it. If the if the computer driving the car entirely, the human can just do what they want to do. But the problem with this weird sort of middle state, where it requires human attention, but the human isn't driving it, is the human gets bored. The human isn't really paying attention. They're not being engaged in the process. So what happens is the human switches off. And then when the human is required, because the computer's not 100%, it's only 98% good enough. One of those 1% or 2% things occurs. Yeah. The human needs to take over. That human. Get the human on the job. Well, exactly. But but the human's, you know, not really... The human's looking out the window at the funny dog that he's just seen. That human... Yeah, exactly. Classic but, human. But that's what a lot, a number of of Tesla incidents that get reported about um, get get blamed on. And I actually think Tesla, um, in many ways, are, are, are great. But but in that particular way, I think I think with autonomous, it has to be all or nothing. I agree because you can't rely on a human to give their full attention to something that they're not really engaged with. Yeah, I either want to be fully in control of the car, or I want to be back just watching cat videos on my phone not, yeah. not interested in the driving so i'm quite excited about a self-driving car but it has to completely drive itself yeah but i think i think there's definitely possibility for, for for death there from poor ux oh yeah how could that work then so you say hey tesla car drive me to work and it'll go oh there's a precipice in the way would you like to drive over the precipice and you go i'm not bothered just do what you want and then <laughs> I'm it goes not sure. okay i'm not sure okay then. i'll go the fastest way but the fastest way vertically <laughs> <laughs> i don't think that that would be designed into it i think that's a i can't okay. imagine tesla going having a precipice mode <laughs> well it might technically be the fastest way yeah, but it's probably not going to be programmed to go technically the fact. Oh, I don't know. I watched this good video about uh, something related to this, and it was by Nine Times Sent Invisible and Vox. And they've made a video 
about um, it was about logo design and so there's this radioactive site and they needed to create signs to keep people away for as long as there was radiation around but the thing is the radiation would be there for 10,000 years and so they wanted to make sure that whatever sign they had would still be relevant in 10,000 years time and that is just I don't I don't know where you'd start because if you think about all of the icons or logos that we've got now for things like something that's deadly or poisonous might have like a skull and crossbones on it. But yeah, that's so, very much something that's culturally ingrained. It's not... Well, that's uh, culturally ingrained. And also you think skull and crossbones, you might think, oh, this is where the pirates have buried their treasure. So yeah. that might not be useful. If you think about something like... Even just different cultures might interpret that differently on yeah, Earth today. Completely. Like, they might just think, oh, this is a Halloween costume thing or pirate day or something like that. But yeah, loads of icons have changed meaning. And there's also things just like the swastika didn't used to mean what it meant, what it means now. Meaning of it has completely changed. Yeah. And so, yeah, creating an icon. The, the article sort of went into a bit of detail about like the biohazard logo. Because yeah. that actually yeah. isn't very old. It was invented, actually, I don't know one. I think it was like 70s or 80s. Um, you mean the one that's like a series of arcs in like a circular shape? Yeah, like, yeah. And so it's like overlapping circles, but semi-circles and things. It's weird. Yeah, and so there's um, there was a need for it, and lots of different people were using different symbols. Like the military uh, was using something different, and then um, they had to sort of get rid of all of these symbols because they weren't clear enough. And did some tests on the public, and they they created a series of of icons that they could use. But they wanted to make sure that the icons weren't already meaningful. Because okay. the, the icon had to be completely blank in people's mind. But how so does that they someone give this meaning know that it's bad then? Well, they wouldn't. In this case, they wouldn't. This is kind of different to the, the icon that lasts 10,000 years. For that one, they were... They, well, there was loads of different ideas that they were trying out, like a storyboard of man walking up to a hazard icon, man falling over dead... And then that was to sort of show that it would be bad. Well, that's a lot of information to, to digest. Yeah. Well, it was like a three-part storyboard. But the thing is, you don't know in 10,000 10, years' time if people are going to read left or right, if they're even going to look at this figure of a man and recognise so that. what did they do? Uh, I, I don't know if they even had solved it. It's a, it's a problem that you can't really solve. There was another another idea was to sort of use the architecture around so create these sort of horrible grisly sort of spikes that come up out of the ground to sort of make the pl- whole place look uncomfortable like these these concrete pyramids that made the whole thing look sort of gnarly but then they were worried that people would come and view it as like a tourist attraction mm. so now it's time for what i hope is going to become a regular feature which is bad UX of the week, where we look at something that's annoyed us yeah. in the week. Um, hopefully, no one's died. I really um, hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my my I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my bad UX of the week. Um, we've got a new coffee machine in the office. All uh, right. Yeah. And it has touch controls on it. So it's it's an espresso machine, bean to cup. You, I'm sure you know the sorts of things. It's quite a big machine quite expensive you put coffee beans in the top mug under the bottom press a button and it makes a coffee for you and it can even do lattes and cappuccinos and things like that it looks really complicated 
it does look really complicated. Um, because it is? Because it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is really complicated. Um, so so there are some left and right arrows on, on there that look they're the, to the left and right of a screen, which shows you what coffee it's going to make. And so you would think the left and right arrows are going to scroll through the different types of coffee yeah. that you can have. But they don't do that. And what they actually do, because it's a touch interface, it's got one of those horrible interfaces where... If you touch a button and you get it slightly wrong, it presses the button next to it. So you try and press right and it actually actually presses the steam function. So the steam starts coming out. So the steam starts coming out, it tries to steam some milk for you. The other thing that's that that I don't understand, I still don't understand. So you can choose whether you want a short coffee, a regular coffee, a long coffee, an extra long coffee. And you can also choose whether you want it mild taste, medium taste strong taste or extra strong taste okay and those things definitely affect when you have tell it to make an espresso they definitely or tell it to make a cup of coffee regular coffee they definitely affect it but what i don't understand is whether they're having any effect on when i make a latte i i just don't like you it has a latte button on there that, that steams some milk and puts it in a mug and puts a coffee on but if if i i'm gonna have to run some experiments but the user interface doesn't make it clear so you you want the difference between a strong latte and a tall latte and a long latte. Hang on, that wasn't even one of your options. Is tall a thing? Is because you said long. Yeah, because is it's long, long not tall? I th- I think so. I assume it means quantity of liquid that comes out. I know yeah. that much from the regular coffees. There's one thing which is how big you want your coffee. Yeah. Or how how much water liquid is it going to come out the other side? And then the other one is how strong do you want it? But the problem is these these are the things when it's in its resting state. What the screen says on there is it says two things: the strength of the coffee and the amount of coffee. Okay, and then when you press latte, it then says I'm now making you a latte on the screen. Is that like a preset then? It's gonna be I don't know long or the, strong. But the thing is, I don't understand whether setting those options when it's in its resting state affect the latte or not. The user interface doesn't make that clear. Oh, I see. Is this? People might say though that well you've just got to learn through the instructions. People might say that it's a coffee machine. It should have a limited set of buttons, and it should make it clear what it should have on it is buttons which indicate the simple drinks it can make. So an yeah. espresso, latte, cappuccino, maybe a long coffee. You know, like a full mug of black coffee, pretty much. Yeah, those should be the op- broad options. Yeah, I think so. P- pressing one of those buttons should then ask you then maybe as a second step. You should probably have defaults on screen saying, I'm about to make this, it's going to be regular sized, regular taste, and you can then adjust if necessary. So you think it should go through and then like you a go, wizard? And then you go, ready, make my coffee. The, yeah, I think it should be like a wizard. The The other thing that's annoying about it is if you start making a coffee, um, it, if you press a button, say, um, regular coffee, it will start grinding the beans yeah. And start making you a coffee. Um, if you accidentally go near the buttons, it treats that as a touch, and any button cancels it mid mid making a coffee. Right? Why are you touching the other buttons when it's when it's working? You just well, it's just them. quite easy. You just stood there waiting for your coffee, and you just put your hand on top of the coffee machine, and because it's a touch interface with no actual physical press to the buttons, just holding your hand near it pretty much is enough to 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 trigger the. The press, which ca- which when it's making a coffee, any button press, any touch on anything on the screen, just 
cancels the whole process. And the annoying thing as well is it wastes the coffee that it's ground. So if you tell it to make me a coffee, it grinds the coffee and is literally about to pot stop putting water through it. And then you accidentally press it to cancel it. It bins the coffee. It's just ground. Oh, what? Which is just a waste. And then you go, actually, I want it to do that. And you press it again. And then you it makes some more. Grinds some fresh coffee. So I know that that's quite easy to press the buttons because when you were showing me this earlier, I, I just put my finger near it. And I thought that you had to press these buttons down. They do look but, like physical buttons to press. But that's it. Yeah, I thought they were physical buttons. So I thought that I'd have to press it until it clicked. But just by brushing my finger against it, it did something. And that took me by surprise. I'll tell you the other problem about this as well, is that if you want something like this, there are very, with the age of internet shopping, there are very few places that you can actually go and and try this out before you buy it. And user interface, I think, are really important when you're buying something, especially, you know, a £500, £1,000, £2,000 coffee machine. To know what the user interface is like, yeah. I think is really important. Yeah, um, that's the most important thing, because you're going to put this coffee machine in a workplace normally right i think yeah this is in our workplace we've yeah. got about 15 people in this office that that are all sort of trendy coffee drinkers i would say most people who buy coffee machines are going to put it in a workplace i've got a, a one know, home, but it's like a small thing yeah, yours is pretty industrial i think people who buy that are going to have it in the office and when you're in an office you don't want to waste any time you've got work to do and you just want to like like you say press button make coffee pretty instant that's the whole point of having a having a machine there to do it for you to take all the stress out of it and just 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 get it done you don't want to have to be pouring over the instruction manuals every (laughs) every time you want a coffee well i think i think once you've learned its quirks it's not so bad but anyone coming to it afresh there is definitely a learning curve of about five or six cups before you get to realize how to make a coffee in the way that you want it to and it but it doesn't need to be like that um but going back to what I was saying, like how, you know, you want to buy one of these things, you want to make sure you're getting the best one possible. But it's very hard to find out whether how easy to use the interface is. Um, yeah, you have to I rely mean, on reviews. Um, but you don't, you know, don't have to you can't, reviews, just, you can't try before you buy, usually. Yeah, it's really difficult to, I had the same sort to of select thing. the product with the best UX. I had the same sort of thing with getting a new kitchen. So I went to a kitchen showroom, expect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I know what you're about to say. Went to a kitchen showroom expecting to be able to try out the kitchen experience. You know, I'm the one that does the cooking usually in our house. And that the experience of cooking is important to me because I I don't want to stress about it. I just want to get so things you want, done. You want your saucepans nearby when you want them, you want the you know, various utensils nearby, you want the controls on the appliances to be straightforward and it to be laid laid out in Yeah. And in, I want in, to in make a smart sure way so that things that you need are close by. Yeah, and I want to make sure that when the thing I'm buying is not going to frustrate me with with awful ways of doing things. Yeah. And so I went and I tried things out, and I was kind of swayed by a man who was a very good salesman, actually. But he, uh, there wasn't really a way to try these things out because in the showroom you're ordering cook, from catalogs, basically. Well, the cookers weren't even turned on. I couldn't even try anything i know i'm not going to go and actually do my cooking round in the showroom but i do want to have a sort of experience and see what it's like to heat something up i think... turn the oven on twiddle with some knobs oh, i'm about to twiddling knobs again i feel like i feel like that comes in far too often in our podcast um is it not the case though that in the past you could a cooker was a fairly simple appliance 
which would usually have a very straightforward, almost standardised, maybe not officially standardised, but, you know, between unofficially people would conform to a sort of unofficial standard. Maybe, yeah. Um, and what's if happened... Just, if you just got a knob to turn, there's not only so many ways that you can do that. Yeah, and I think so I think it would only be the really sort of terrible ones that get it wrong. The problem is, nowadays, everyone, uh, in order to get ahead of the other sort of appliance manufacturers, everyone's trying to get in with things like smart controls, touch controls... You know, everyone wants to create the slicker looking product in the kitchen, you know, and, and and a glossy screen or a light up touch button looks far better in a catalogue than a sort of clunky retro um, rotary control or something. But a touch screen and might be just might not actually be any better than, than no, the physical no, button no, no, but and interface. Ultimately, this comes down to their sales figures. Yeah. Um, uh, not whether it's actually better or not. There are many things in the world that get worse like for example the you know we're talking about earlier with the the jeep with its um different shift control for the for Uh, the gears that was mostly a design design choice you know it looked slicker when it was a sort of spring-loaded thing than a natural physical control that slid backwards and forwards i think i think commercialism often overtakes actual usability that's a shame though because the usefulness is in a kitchen the entire purpose but they'll all be under pressure to sell more units. They'll all be under pressure to compete with the other manufacturers that are adding screens and touch buttons and things. And these are companies that are used to creating physical products. And they're used to doing things like, you know, designing the interior of the cooker and making sure that it's safe. But they're not, they don't have probably many software engineers. They don't know how to make good user interfaces in, in software or, you know, with more advanced controls. So they end up with these terrible user interfaces. I think what you you haven't mentioned it, but I've I've seen it. You're you're talking about your your microwave oven that's built in, aren't you? Microwave oven Primarily. thing that is it. You've got to turn it on first, and then you've got to set the temperature. Well, there's a, you've got to set the mode first. There's all these different modes, and then you've got to set the temperature with an up and down. Then you've got to press go like a it's like a play button. It's got to play and pause. Don't know what pause is for. Just turn it off. But yeah, you, so there's in that in all that process, my last oven, you just turn a dial and it does all of those so things. So this is the actual oven. This was for the actual oven, yeah. It was also a microwave one as well, but the microwave's terrible. That's why I've kept my actual microwave. So you, so you bought a new kitchen <laughs> with a built-in cooker and a built-in microwave. Yeah. And you don't use the built-in microwave; you use the one you used to have. Yeah, because the microwave that that is just a microwave. Does the does the microwave experience really really well? Yeah, you just Whereas the, you throw in a your meal with holes in it. You put some holes in the top, throw it in. What set the time? But press a couple of buttons, okay. twist a dial, done. Whereas the the new one that's all fancy and touchscreen, yeah, you've got to set. You've I've, got, I've tried. To, you've got to I've even tried to use this. It's it would t- it takes. It's really complicated. You can't even long. use one of the modes that I mentioned. You've got to go out and into a different mode of the modes. Oh, what? Yeah, there's there's two levels of modes. But I when I I think this is because that other oven is primarily an oven and it, and they've added a microwave feature to an oven. And so yeah, the software yeah. hasn't been designed from the ground up to be someone approaching it wanting to use a microwave. They've tried to say, well, let's take the cooker software and add an option for microwaving or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why it's ended up so bad. But your original point is you can't go and actually actually try these things out. And if I did, 
probably would have just left it. <laughs> so ap- apparently someone actually did listen to our last podcast. Believe it or not. <laughs> hey, my mum listened. Did she? What did she think of it? <laughs> she said she listened. Oh. So that was it. That's as good as it got. <laughs> I didn't want to ask, actually, in case there was any sort of crushing feedback. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like hearing the negatives. <laughs> um, someone that did listen, though, was Pete Clark. Oh, yeah, he okay, yeah. Who sent us a tweet. Yeah. So he's he's our first advocate. He even, even recommended us to someone else, which is... Good. That's amazing. So yeah, thank you, Pete. That's amazing to uh, be supported. Um, he, he likes it when we grumble about stuff and he wants us to talk about online chat help desks. Yeah, but specifically, so I think online chat help desks are actually a really good thing, generally speaking. Yeah. The if concept can, of them. If I can get away with actually talking to a human being, then uh, to actually not talking to a human being. Yeah, it's it. easier than calling someone up, usually. Yeah, yeah, okay. But um, the the thing that he pointed out, which is right, is that quite often it will have a form to say... Start a chat with an agent, first fill in your name and your problem. Then you click submit. Then it goes into the chat and the first thing it says is something like, Hi, I'm James. What's the problem you've got? How can I help you today? And it's like, well, hold on a minute. How did that... Yeah, I've just filled out this massive long form <laughs> explaining yeah. exactly what the problem is. Why are you now asking? Yeah. Did, so did that person not get the form? Is that an auto message? And actually they already know, but they just the auto message just asks starting again the conversation anyway, with or... hi. Yeah, I don't really know. Yeah. It's a good. It's a good point, though. It is pretty, pretty annoying. Do you think that we should invite people to contact us with their bad experiences of technology and yeah interfaces, websites, definitely experiences with companies? I, mean, I don't want us to be rogue traders. <laughs> that is no. by, rogue traders, by the way, is a custom consumer affairs program in England. Britain. Yes, like Watchdog. I mean, in fact, it's part of Watchdog, isn't it? Now it's merging into. I'm one. just thinking we've got we've got a global audience, Andy. Does anyone know either of those things outside it's of consumer Great affairs Britain. program where people write in and complain that they've been ripped off? Anyway, right. don't tell us if you've been ripped off. Just tell us if you've had a terrible experience with technology or some doors. Not just doors. <laughs> it can be anything. Yeah, just so that we can sort of berate it and laugh about it. And it's really just good to have a good moan, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's definitely good to have a moan. This has been the Unusual Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it hasn't been too painful. I hope you didn't die. <laughs> um, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast and follow us on Twitter at The Unusual Podcast and send us a few of your usability Bug- gripes bugbears. and bugbears. Yeah. Uh, music is by Gold5472 and that's it. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. We know who you are. Goodbye. <laughs> Don't get creepy. <laughs>